Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. An amazing fall day here in the United States. The leaves are turning. Baseball's geared up for its fall classic uh, all week. NBA, NHL, well underway. Football, we're away from some of the controversies and we focus on the field. It is great to be alive. Dan Calaruso, the worldwide global editor of Reuters Digital. Is it great to be alive? It's great to be alive, um, despite the fact um, that I have no sports teams left to root for. Um, it is great to be alive. Well, you know, your mindset on that one should have been redefined for yourself probably in the spring when baseball started. And I understand we're not talking football today from your perspective. We don't want to bring anybody down. Let's talk baseball. Is that okay? Well, I I think we should definitely talk baseball because when we talk about the NFL's problems, I will say that I think that despite all the political stuff, despite the CTE scandal, despite whatever. Um, I think football's biggest problem has been how great baseball postseasons have been the past two or three years. That 9-8 game where the Cubs beat the Nationals in the fifth. I know Washington doesn't want to talk about it. The Houston Yankees series, the Cleveland Yankees series, been magnetic, and we don't know what's going to happen since we're taping on Wednesday. The Dodgers won game one, uh, but... Uh, New York-L.A. would have been a really good series, don't you think, for a lot of reasons? I think New York-L.A. would have been a great media series. I like Houston-L.A. just because Houston is kind of emblematic of, they're both emblematic of ways to build a franchise. Um, And I think the Dodgers, despite their huge payroll, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit, have a fair amount of homegrown talent. Houston has managed to pull itself up in four years from being the worst team in the league to being in the World Series. I think that's a, I, I think it's a good baseball series. I, I want to see if the kind of post-Harvey Astros World Series effect is kind of like the post-Katrina New Orleans Saints effect. Now, that happened over time. Mm. This is more immediate. But we'll see. Uh, I think people in Houston are, are obsessed with baseball as a fun sport as it relates to recovery. J.J. Uh, Watt, ironically, is the guy that raised a lot of money for Hurricane Harvey. He's now out for the year for the Texans. But, you know, let's shift quickly to the Dodgers. I know we need to do that. The payroll, $265 million due to in-season trades. They lost $73 million at the beginning of the Guggenheim era annually. Now they're losing a bit, but they expect to make more than $50 million annually over time as they stabilize with some projects, which is kind of interesting, huh? Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's really interesting in that Will they be able to, unlike other teams that have won, uh, the Royals, the Marlins, will they be able to maintain a quality product on the field while they try to become more financially um, balanced? And, okay, they're owned by Guggenheim, so there's some financial acumen in the front office, you would imagine. But I think that there's a, it, it will, it's a test, and it's the, the conundrum of success in, the major, in Major League Baseball right now. How do you keep a good team intact um, and hit your bogeys financially. And the structuring, we thought, Dan, was that uh, it, 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 you're, you're set, you're set for life because of interchangeable parts, uh, and now baseball has that salary cap penalty that's even more punitive, right. luxury tax penalty. It's even, even more punitive than it was before. So 
it is in the Yankees' interest if they don't want to um, lose money to shed and shed. And, hey, don't, wouldn't you know it, you know, the Yankees have those baby bom- bombers. Let's right. see what the Dodgers do. Do the Cubs keep their starting pitchers intact? What happens now is baseball's offseason is almost as dramatic as its onseason. Yeah, it's really it's vitally important from the financial engineering point of view, right? When you talk projects for the Dodgers, were there any specifics on those projects? Do we know what they're going to do? Is there another kind of derivative revenue stream that they're looking at, or is it just about squeezing the maximum revenue out of the platforms, for lack of a better term, that they have? When I say platforms, I mean attendance, um, you know, endorsements, whatever, sponsorships. Uh, is it that kind of thing? Well, it's that kind of thing, but also remember, they almost covered their entire purchase nut with that cable TV deal yeah. that they did out there, and they're still trying to figure out how to get maximum clearance. So that's one of those quote unquote right, projects. Right. The other one is they finished the Dodger Stadium renovation, but now they've got a real estate play along with it as well. And so, um, you know, the ancillary dollars are really important. Sometimes they show up on the balance sheet, and sometimes they don't. Uh, let's segue into dollars as we always do, but let's focus on the NBA. We've now had a couple of weeks of the season. Um, the uh, uh, deals with the jersey patches were, quote, an experiment that Adam Silver allowed teams to cut for themselves. That'll be three years. They're limited now by the number of years and the size of the patches. But lo and behold, more than half the NBA teams have signed jersey deals ahead of the new season. The Warriors lead the way with $20 million, a company, the Japanese company Rakuten. $9.3 million is the average of those deals. The initial forecast was for nine. You've got most of the teams doing it, and therefore it's found money. Now, I know it's not a lot of money, but when you say found money, two years ago nobody even thought there was going to be any. Right. I mean, it is an interesting revenue stream, and you wonder you know, how it's capped. I mean, it's going to be capped by, obviously, I think the sensibility around professional sports in the U.S., doesn't go as far as like the Premier League or NASCAR, you know, or IndyCar. Um, so it's going to be capped. So it does, it's, I, I think, unfortunately, it's another way where the rich will get richer. You know, um, Golden State probably needs the cash to cover uh, Kevin Durant, but um, is it going to help a team like Memphis? Is it going to help a team um, like Orlando? Um, and, and that's, you know, 9.3 million. What does that get you, a backup point guard? Uh, no. Not, Not really. Even, right? You get them for you know. You get it. You get them for a couple months. Mm-hmm. And you know the irony of this, Dan, is you remember everybody said it's a no-brainer. Let's do it, Adam Silver. Why don't you do it the day you come into office? Well, it wasn't that easy because the debate was going to be: Do you pull it and share it? A with the players? No, you don't. You share it with the players because you give the contracts later because you have the revenue. But that's team-wise. And then B: Do you let the teams cut their own deals? And that's what they ended up doing. So there could have been the theory that the Warriors 20 annually and the um, Toronto Raptors 5 million Canadian with Sun Life would be pooled in a pot and shared with all the teams. That didn't happen. So your point about the rich getting richer, the spread now is 3 or 4 million on the low end to 20 million on the high end. And your point, as always, is good. Yeah, I mean, it would be different with the NFL, right? The NFL, it, it would probably pool, I would imagine. Probably pool because there's more of a precedent to it, and pooling found money is easier than pooling traditionally earned money because the teams haven't counted on it yet, their investors haven't counted on it yet, etc. But look for, I would predict, the NHL to look at that model pretty closely, baseball patches pretty closely. You do know the NFL already allows patches on practice jerseys, so this whole idea of a purist 
that's given away to the realist and the banker. Funny how purists uh, get redefined over the years. You know, it's, well, it, it purists redefined, meaning no gambling, no gambling in sports. So let's go to the next money thing, which is Skydio. Do you know what Skydio is? I do now, because you told me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Skydio is a drone startup. Um, yes. Uh, based, I would imagine, out of Silicon Valley or with some intellectual property and heft in Silicon Valley. Uh, so they apparently, according to you, has, have signed up, uh, not really signed up, but uh, Kevin Durant is an early investor in the company. Yeah, automated drones, what do we think of next? But of course, everybody's using it, and it's a great idea. But this is not a drone segment. This is a Durant segment. It's one of 30 or more tech investments that Durant has made over his playing career. So he and Stephen Curry and Andre Guadalla are notable players that invest in tech companies. And by the way, not coincidentally, as you just pointed out, they all play for the Warriors, and they're all in Silicon Valley, and this is one of those companies. And it used to be that athletes would find out what the endorsements would look like and they'd wear something on their shirts or drive their cars. But now the cool thing to do is find an investment startup and some equity. And here we go. Well, it's interesting. You know, they they have real money now. Like you you think about the old days and you and I in, in talking about the show earlier, I brought up Willie Mays. You know, Willie Mays was famously um, always under financial pressure in his in his life. Uh, and I found a 1964 Sports Illustrated um, issue that said, despite the fact that he was making $105,000, a princely sum in those days, that he was still broke. You know, he was still in debt. Um, so you, you, look at it, you look at the old days and you look at the card commercials or even the card dealerships of John Elway's early retirement, right, or, or, or playing days. And now you see players investing and becoming, you know, getting equal footing with the real money or the smart money or whatever you want to call it. They're not just selling their services. They are investing and they, they have skin in the game and they have, you know, a, a, a model behind them in which to do this. And, you know, in Hollywood, you saw Ashton Kusher is famously a VC investor. And we see a little more of that as it goes along. And I think athletes, naturally, the savvy ones, uh, will not be suckered into bad real estate deals or chain restaurants or branded restaurants or, you know, being, you know, retiring and becoming casino greeters anymore. I think it's a really smart development and it speaks well of the young men who are, who are doing these things at this point. I think it's, they have foresight and they have, they're on the cutting edge of what's happening in the world. And I think it's, I think it's a, it reflects very well on the athlete of today. I don't look at, I don't begrudge them the money. I really do applaud their, their kind of insight and the wisdom they're bringing to this kind of, to, to their financial futures. Insight and wisdom goes both ways. Major League Baseball's interest in many cases, you mentioned the Willie Mays issue, is to maximize the opportunity for young people to understand and get in the game. And everybody's interest is to keep the players financially healthy. And along comes a company called EverFi, the education technology company developing digital learning platforms. They've got deals with 3,000 corporations, sports leagues, athletes, coaches, foundations. It's a business show. It's part of a larger investment entity for their general financial education. They've got $250 million in investment venture funding, Bono, Jeff Bezos, Branson, etc. But it also involves financial education with 20,000 K-12 through schools and 18 million learners. The numbers aren't as important as the fact that they have a relationship with Major League Baseball. It's called the Summer Slugger Program. We know that kids 
after their summer vacations are a little dumber, and this is a good example of getting them up to speed. But more important, the idea of financial literacy, education, sports, coming together with a good baseball example, key to the World Series now that everybody's talking about it. And who better to talk about this than the co-founder of the company, John Chapman. Ricardo in Moser Park, in an interesting section of Baltimore, this is like any other city, inner city area, all over America, where fields are being renovated and education and positive social good basically carries the day. One of the leading digital education companies in the world is involved in a lot of these processes and the continuity of them and the compatibility of them. John Chapman, founder, EverFi, how are you? I'm doing well, Rick, thanks. You guys basically broke the mold. The numbers say you have $250 million of new venture capital, uh, 18 million learners, which is big, 20,000 kindergarten through 12 schools, 4,300 partners. That's pretty prolific. Having that set up, what exactly do you do? Sure, well, first of all, uh, we work in communities like right here in West Baltimore. So it's actually appropriate that I think we're here today. These are the types of communities that we've always prioritized working with as an organization. Uh, we are an education technology company. Yeah. We're one that teaches uh, young adults through adults critical skills. And so critical skills for us uh, can be topics that put a lot of pressure on individuals, families, communities like here in West Baltimore, things like financial literacy, health and wellness, other types of um, uh, topics that are, are often undertaught in the school day. They're sort of, um, they, they, they get, get a bit of the short shrift. And oftentimes communities like this don't have the resources to, build, to bring kind of next generation education technology to those students in those communities. So we've built a company that's built on partnering with the private sector uh, to bring our learning technology uh, to communities like here in West Baltimore and all across uh, North America, uh, where we're working with 20,000 schools and about 6 million learners annually. Well, and the number's obviously prolific, but it's also in schools' interests. We'll get to teams and leagues in a minute. Sure. But the corporate partnership model, yeah. where yeah. the it's not just philanthropic, but right. it's important for these corporations to make yeah. the social statement. So often they'll partner with you to deliver this kind of product to schools? Yes, absolutely. That's the essential of our model at EverFi. Yeah. We create these public-private partnerships. You've got a school, uh, that consumes our technology and delivers it in the classroom. We work with teachers and educators all across the country to do that. We go ahead and, and, and power that technology. We, you know, we service and, 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 and update and continually make sure it's the best it can possibly be. And then we take their support. They essentially license that technology on behalf of that community that they care about. It could be in the uh, a footprint of where they do business. It could be for other kind of community affairs objectives, but it really creates a win-win. Kids get access to this technology that teaches these critical skills. Um, those organizations get a chance to create a really strong corporate social responsibility initiative. Right. And at the end of the day, communities like here uh, get to benefit. Well, that's agnostic in the sense that that's not really sports, but it's social good. It cuts across yeah. all disciplines, not just sports. Absolutely. And we're, we're looking to work in, again, topic areas that we call critical skills, ones that um, you think about something like financial literacy, which was our um, flagship content area when we started yeah. the business almost 10 years ago. Something like that really puts pressure on communities because yeah. if you don't have a good idea of how to be responsible with your finances or how to acquire a student loan if you're a high school student, uh, we want to give them and empower them with that knowledge so that they can you know, better their lot in life. They can you know, have more opportunities uh, that we know education can provide them, or they can more, more responsibly manage their finances as they go into yeah. the workforce. It really doesn't matter. So it does cut across. It's not just about sports, but certainly, uh, as you know, we've used the yeah. power of sport 
uh, as a really effective platform to teach some of these skills. Well, let's talk about that piece of it and segue into your partnerships, NFL partnership, yep. NHL partnership, and others. Yeah. Talk about those. Sure, we are uh, really proud to be uh, to power all four professional sports leagues, a major education initiative in each of those leagues. So uh, with the NFL, as you mentioned first, we run a program called Character Playbook. Um, it's a character education program to help uh, teenagers develop better habits around healthy relationships, so sort of those awkward middle school years when you're in eighth grade. Uh, it's important to instill those types of habits. So we work with all 32 NFL clubs uh, to promote that program in middle schools across the country. Uh, with the National Hockey League, we run a program called Future Goals. Uh, Future Goals uses the game of hockey to teach students about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, right. as well as careers associated with STEM. Uh, that's a really exciting program all across now 31 markets in North America, the U.S. and Canada. Um, with the Major League Baseball, we are uh, really excited. We just launched a program with them mm -hmm. uh, this past June called Summer Slugger, uh, and that attacks summer learning loss, uh, particularly in elementary school age students, and in particularly in communities that are um, you know, uh, underserved or lower socioeconomic communities where uh, resources to keep kids sharp over the summer aren't as plentiful. And so that really fills that gap. And then with the NBA, we've worked for many years on a financial literacy program uh, in several markets across the league. And let's focus on Summer Slugger for a minute because sure. it's quite innovative. And Joe Torrey, who's the chief baseball officer as well as the commissioner, have expressed just really significant unbridled support for the program. So yep. talk a little more about that. Yeah, so Summer Slugger is our newest partnership with a professional sports league and one we are super excited about. In June, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Chief Baseball Officer Joe Torrey uh, attended the Dream Academy in Harlem, yeah. where we launched the program officially in front of about a, a couple of hundred students, uh, elementary school age students in that school. Um, we had Harold Reynolds from MLB Network there. We had uh, executives from Commissioner uh, Manfred's office there, um, as well as um, several other dignitaries from clubs. The Yankees also showed up uh, with their community team and, and gave all the students at the end of the uh, program free tickets to a Yankees game. Um, and what was really great about that program, Rick, was watching um, Joe in the classroom with the students. And he went in and watched them interact with Summer Slugger, which is, again, an online learning program to help keep kids' um, academic skills sharp over the summer. So they're using the game of baseball to play these mini series, just yeah. like a baseball series. And instead of having uh, baseball within that, solely baseball within those series, they have math and literacy concepts in a kind of a fun game-like atmosphere. So they're able to keep their skills sharp over the summer, which we know is just a major issue. Kids lose you know, about 2.6 months worth of academic knowledge over the course of the summer, and we want to really fight against that. So it's really exciting, and, 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 uh, and one, uh, an event, uh, that type of support was, was something that we were, uh, were really proud of, and I think it got that program off to a great start. I assume the other piece of this is very important is not only do you cover the waterfront, all the teams, mm -hmm. the big four sports, yep. but you also probably challenge some of those teams to dig a little deeper because you have a best practices template as well. Absolutely. We are, we are able to, I think, put them in the game of digital education. You talked about us being a digital education company and one of the biggest in the world, is, which is correct, we actually are able to take that expertise and be an extension of clubs. So in many cases, you know, sports clubs for many years have done wonderful things in the community, right. but this is uh, adding a, a bit of an innovative element to their work. And I think they really appreciate that. They're able to use our team of, of former educators that live and work all across North America, who build relationships with local school officials. They're able to kind of have those, those folks as extensions of their community teams, bringing their brand into the community around topics um, that are really important from a social good perspective and are also great from you know representing their brand well in the community which is something they're all very proud of. One of the things that will permeate this show over time will be how do you quantify success 
there are many do-good stories, and we're going right. to bring those to you weekly, monthly. But from a businessman's perspective, right. there's ROI, there's right. the economic investment, there's yep. satisfying the capital requirements, there's debt service, all right. of those issues. Yep. Yep. So how do you reconcile? Well, in many ways, we've always believed philosophically that you can run, um, you can do well by doing good, yeah, okay. okay? You can uh, run a socially uh, responsible uh, for-profit corporation, and that's what we've done. One of the things that we're most proud of, you mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, we have raised a significant amount of investment over the years in the history of EverFi, but one of the most significant investments and one of the ones we are most proud of was this past spring, we were the inaugural investment of the RISE Fund, which is one of the world's largest social impact investment vehicles. It's co-founded by U2 frontman Bono, as well as executives from private equity firm TPG. And they have decided that they're gonna aim for uh, businesses that are having a social impact, but are also profitable and giving a return to investors. So we really feel like in many ways, when we're developing programs that are going to the community, they are ones that are, that are doing uh, uh, an important, meeting an important social need educationally, but we're also able to create value for our customers and able to charge a, a license fee to them um, so that we can continue to grow our business responsibly. And if we really want to quantify the genesis or the core of the power of sports, yeah. corporate America, corporate world has yep. to really be at its core, has to step up. Right. If there are board members now that are more philanthropic than before, right. if corporations feel like they're measured based on social good as well as ROI, yep. Yep. you're in good shape and basically yep. the country's in good shape. Absolutely, in many ways, if you think about it, um, corporate partners are nothing new to the sports world. But what we're providing those corporate partners is an opportunity to do something unique and innovative. So they can always go out and you know, put an ad on the scoreboard or uh, do other, some, some other sort of traditional way of announcing themselves to the broader community. But in our case, they can also bring a program to local schools. They can actually be a part of partnering with a club in a way that maybe, maybe hadn't had the opportunity or, or, or done before. What does EverFi look like 10 years from now? Well, hopefully we're continuing to impact more uh, individuals, more uh, communities, um, uh, more sports leagues around the world. So we've uh, to date been confined to North America, which we're really proud of. Uh, but we are you know, today engaged in conversations with uh, leagues overseas and around the globe uh, to try to bring uh, that element of our business to, uh, to those communities, as well as all the other things we do, whether it be financial literacy, health and wellness, um, some of the work we do on college campuses. These are all really important issues that I said, that again, put a lot of pressure on different types of communities. We want to be able to bring those uh, globally, not just here in North America. So I think hopefully we'll uh, expand our mission globally. Well, John, it's an incredibly EverFi important component in the power of sports. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, and Ronnie Sokatch. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.